You know what your problem is? You're always talking about X, but you're thinking about Y. You've got to learn to talk about Y. Forget about X. X is going to take care of itself. What are you talking about? I'm just asking you to hear yourself. Listen to what you're really saying, under what you think you're saying. Control, control, control. When are you going to realize nothing can be controlled? We live in chaos. It's a central issue in everyone's life. Mac, look around you. Everyone in this parking lot is struggling for control. And you know what it is they're trying to control each and every one of them? Fear. They're trying to control their fear. Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. Open up with that clip from the movie Grand Canyon. You know what? We're all trying to be in control. And, you know, we realize now that, you know, we don't have any control of anything. We don't have any control of anything since uh, November 8th, 2020. We can see that. It's actually uh, since uh, March 12th, 2020, as we watched the uh, the country shut down over over a virus and watch the country try to just scare the crap out of everybody and uh, just controlled our lives. And I say, hey, you know, we're trying, we're trying, we're in order to avoid the possibility of a physical death, we're all imposing a social death on each on ourselves by shutting down. We're just shutting down our lives and we're just letting the, the, the country do it to us. And we're just sitting there and being, being, uh, being sheep. Just being sheep. You know, what's funny is uh, I saw a Facebook post um, this week and I shared it. It says, can you tell me if this sounds abusive? My friend's husband won't let her visit any friends or family. He has made her stop all contact with them unless it's on the phone or a computer. He makes her feel like she's going crazy for thinking he's controlling and that she's being ungrateful. After all, he's doing it because of how much he cares about her. He doesn't want her going to the gym anymore, so she doesn't go. He also doesn't let her go to work anymore. He told her the only told her to only rely on him for income and that's that he'll take care of her. She's not really allowed to go in, go out anymore unless it's for necessities. And when she does it, he makes sure to have people guilt trip her about about it and shame her for it. He wants her to have this medical procedure done and tells her uh, that if if she does, he will allow her more freedoms. He constantly says he's only doing this because he cares. He's just doing it for her own good. Oh, wait, did I say that was her husband? I meant that's the government. My bad. You've been conditioned to be outraged if another person did this to, to their spouse 
but you're passive and compliant when it comes from our government. Please wake up. You know what? That's uh, kind of what we've become, folks, kind of what we've become. And it's just uh, we're out of control. We just don't have any control anymore. That song was uh, Between the Laugh and the Tear um, from John Cougar Mellencamp. Thought the thought that fit pretty good, pretty good when you're seeing the seeing things change so much. I remember uh, when I was a teenager in high school going to concerts at the Long Beach Convention Center than Long Beach Arena and seeing, you know, 15,000 kids, uh, you know, having a having a rock and roll experience. And uh, today, the Long Beach Convention Center is uh, being filled up with illegal a- aliens. So uh, hey, we, we're housing the migrant children. Uh, and when you look at the when you look at the video, they don't look like children to me. They look like young adults. So anyway, I'm uh, I've got a lot to say about a lot of this stuff, but I'm realizing we don't really have much control anymore. Uh, hence, uh, we're, we're learning to control our fear. We're learning to control our fear and just kind of deal with it, figure out where our next step is. But anyway, before I go any further, I'm going to talk about all the stuff that's been going on this week in specifics. And I've actually, uh, I've actually tried to avoid, um, dealing with the George Floyd trial, but I'm going to talk about it a lot today, um, because I just don't think it's avoidable anymore. Um, but first, before I go on, let me introduce myself. For those of you who don't know, know who I am, my name is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there are fantastic opportunities out there if you, if you know how to find them. If you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone because it's so personal. And you don't know if I'm going to tell you uh, that that you're not worthy. Uh, go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on the Summit Funding logo, and uh, that'll take you uh, directly to my lending page. And you can fill out all the form, tell me how much information you want and how much information you'd like back. And you'll hear from me or me uh, personally or one of my talented teammates. Uh, and we'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle whether that's buying a property you'd like to own, refinancing a property that you already own, or uh, getting involved with one of those fantastic financing vehicles for people over 62, the reverse mortgage. Uh, If there's any part of the show you want repeated, stay on Ed Hoffman, click on the podcast page. You can hear this show on demand or uh, any, uh, a whole bunch of past shows. Uh, You can also get the main event podcast on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. And you can uh, subscribe for free and have it download automatically every week as we upload it. Um, it'll download to your uh, your computer, or your iPod, or your iPad, or your iPhone, or your mini pad, or your maxi pad, or your puppy pad. Anything that you can uh, listen to podcasts on, and you can listen to it on demand. Connect with the show on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. All the other uh, all the other social medias, I'm at Big Ed Hoffman. Uh, the Facebook page is the main event, Ed Hoffman, facebook.com slash the main event, Ed Hoffman. Uh, and if you want to comment on the show, um, send me an email at ed at edhoffman.net uh, or fill out the contact form on edhoffman.net, which a lot of you people have been doing lately. Uh, let me mention uh, my uh, my sidekick that I have in here about once a month. Uh, Scott McPhee's putting on a uh, Make America Laugh Again comedy show um, next Saturday, May 1st in Tustin at the Auto Museum. It's at the uh, Marconi Auto Museum next Saturday. If you're interested in getting tickets, 
Uh, I've seen the show a few times uh, and I'm sh- and there's always new stuff every time. Go to M-A-L-A comedy.com. Make America laugh again. Comedy.com and uh, get tickets for there. Uh, all the information's on the website. So let's talk about uh, George Floyd. Um, more, more, more commonly known now as the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, by now, uh, you know that there was a guilty verdict on all three counts. Uh, second degree murder, which is unintentional murder, which is killing someone in the course of committing another felony. I don't know what other felony he was that uh, Derek Chauvin was committing. Uh, maybe assault, but I think arresting someone who's whacking out and going crazy and fighting you. I don't know if that's considered assault. Third degree murder, a death that occurs when someone is acting extremely dangerous without regarding human life. Mm, okay, I might be able to buy that. And, uh, and second degree manslaughter, which is death by culpable negligence in which a perpetrator knowingly takes risk causing death or serious, serious harm. My, uh, my concern is which one is it? I'm just wondering, they committed it. They convicted him of three charges of murder. The only, there's only one guy that's dead. I'm not really sure how that works. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a cop, but it just seems, uh, you know, it's either second degree murder or third degree murder or it's second degree manslaughter or it's a uh, negligent man manslaughter. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I don't know how it could be all three. But for a brief moment on Monday, it appeared there may not be a verdict at all. Thanks to somebody who had no business being anywhere near the trial. That someone is Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who took the time away from her district in Los Angeles, where she's supposed to be. She went to Minneapolis and make sure the jury heard her demands. Oh, no, not manslaughter. No, no, no. This is, this is guilty for murder. I don't know whether it's in the first degree, but as far as I'm concerned, it's first degree. We, we got to stay on the street uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need business. Hmm. That just seems like uh, it seems like uh, something like inciting insurrection right there. Uh, you know, what happened was reporter asked her what she thinks the verdict should be. She says guilty. He's guilty of man. Is he? He says guilty of manslaughter. She says, oh, no, 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 not manslaughter. No, no, no. This is guilty for murder. I don't know whether it's first degree, but as far as I'm concerned, it's first degree. First degree is like premeditated. He meant to kill him, planned it. Um, and he wasn't even charged with that. Reporter asked. What should protesters do if that's not the verdict? She says, we've got to stay on the street. We've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they know we mean business. Hmm. Does that sound like a United States congressperson? Does that sound diplomatic and politically correct? Let's compare that to Trump's words on January 6th, the words that supposedly incited people to commit insurrection. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down anyone you want. But I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them because you'll never take back our country with weakness you have to show strength and you have to be strong we have come to demand that congress do the right thing 
and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Today, we will see whether Republicans stand strong for integrity of our elections, but whether or not they stand strong for our country. You know what? I just don't see where that incited any insurrection. I just don't see where that didn't sound presidential. I don't know. You know, we saw so much evidence of of uh, fraud in the election and the media squelched it all out. So people couldn't people. So people that didn't watch Fox or watch uh, Newsmax or watch One America News, um, a lot of them didn't see it. And they believe this was a fair election. And I just don't buy it. And I don't see anything that Trump said there saying, hey, go break down the doors, go break the windows, go get confrontational, make sure they know we mean business. I didn't hear any of that. But then the 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 Congress, um, the House of Representatives impeached the president. No trial, no evidence, no nothing. They just held a held a vote to impeach him because they wanted to make sure that he couldn't run again. Um, because they don't they know they're going to turn the country upside down and they don't want to have to deal with him again because he's strong enough to call it out. The Chauvin jury, the Chauvin jury was not sequestered throughout the trial, but they were told not to watch the news. OK, you know what? I have this uh, this new three month old uh, Bernese Mountain Dog that uh, never leaves mine and Don's side. And uh, it's like just putting a cheeseburger in front of him and saying, you're not to eat that hamburger. I know on the way home from uh, Montana last week, we stopped at, uh, we drove through Carl's Jr. and we gassed up. And uh, there was a superstar with cheese for me and a superstar with cheese for, for Don. And there was a famous star with cheese for Wyatt. Um, I don't even think I could eat a, a cheeseburger that fast. And, uh, you know, you'd think we never fed him and uh, the way he gobbled it up. And, I just think that's uh, that's that's how that goes. Hey, you guys are not to watch the news. They know they're in a high profile trial. They go home and what do they do? They watch the news. They want to know what people are saying. When the news broke of Maxine Waters comments outside Chauvin's Chauvin's attorney, Eric Nelson, asked uh, the judge, Peter Cahill, to consider a mistrial. I just don't know how this jury, it can really be said to be that they are free from the taint of this. Um, and now that we have U.S. representatives uh, threatening acts of uh, violence in relation to the specific case, uh, it's, it's mind boggling. It is mind boggling. If you watched the news, you saw her out there. You saw Jesse Jackson out there. You saw Al Sharpton out there. You saw a bunch of crazy race baiters threatening to, to tear the place down, tear the place down. You know, we're going to we're going to get our justice. And uh, here was the judge's response to uh, Eric Nelson's request for a mistrial. I'm aware of the media reports. I'm aware that Congresswoman Waters was talking specifically about this trial and about the unacceptability of uh, anything less than a murder conviction. 
and talk about being confrontational. I wish elected officials would stop talking about this case, especially in a manner that is disrespectful to the rule of law and to the judicial branch and our function. I think if they want to give their opinions, they should do so in a respectful and in a manner that is consistent with their oath to the Constitution. Their failure to do so, I think, is abhorrent. A congresswoman's opinion really doesn't matter a whole lot. Anyway, so motion for mistrial is denied. Well, he uh, he said it like it was. Um, I'm sure there's going to be an appeal and I'm sure this is all going to come up and it's going to bite Maxine Waters in the butt on this. But um, but the judge said no mistrial and he wishes everybody. Hey, think about this. What's our government here for? Why do we have a government? Our government has two jobs. Protect us from foreign enemies and enforce the laws. And part of the laws is innocent until proven guilty. And the, the jury's supposed to be unbiased and listen to the evidence. And when they go home at night and hear this stuff and realize their their city's gonna be up in flames if they don't if they don't convict, nah, that's probably not gonna intimidate them into uh, voting a particular way. No, not at all. No, it's, it seems funny that a, a trial of this high profile. And there was a lot of evidence that would lead you to believe that eh, did George Floyd really die because of the knee on his neck or was it because all those pills he took or, uh, you know, what other medical conditions he had. Um, But it only took him 10 hours to come to a unanimous decision. If you remember, I think uh, I think uh, OJ, the OJ trial, they were in deliberations for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, at least it seems like. Um, going over, going over evidence, but this one only took 10 hours and they probably had a couple of lunch breaks during that Tuesday morning with the jury sequestered and a verdict impending the president of the United States, the corpse in the white house decided now is the perfect time for him to chime in. I'm praying the verdict is the right verdict, which is, I think it's overwhelming in my view. I wouldn't say that unless the, the jury was sequestered now, not hear me say that. Yeah, you know, he's such a strong leader and he has such a strong voice because he's just barely alive. You know, when people are on their deathbed and they're in hospice and you go, Mom, can you hear me? Do you know I'm here? Squeeze my hand. Uh, And they talk really quiet. That's kind of how Joe Biden is. If you remember him from five or 10 or 15 years ago, he has a really strong voice and he's and he's very opinionated. And he's and even though he doesn't know, he always picks the wrong choice, makes all the wrong decisions. Um, he was strong the way he did it, but now it's, well, I'm praying for the right verdict. And, uh, you know, now that they're sequestered, it's okay for me to say this. You know what? Uh, one, one reporter challenged Jen Psaki on whether this was appropriate. The president has talked about the importance of an independent judiciary. Why is it appropriate for him to weigh in on the verdict, even though the jury is I, I wouldn't think, I don't think he would see it as weighing in on the verdict. He was conveying uh, what many people are feeling across the country. He's conveying what many people are feeling across the country. Of course, I remember uh, our previous president, uh, Donald J. Trump. He was weighing in on what lots of people were feeling across the country. And uh, for that, for that um, candidness, he was called a racist and uh, and everything, every, every bad name in the book, um, you know, and, you, and where did where did Biden learn learn how to how to weigh in on on these kind of verdicts, you know, where there's race involved and, you know, just try to pander to the to the people. I wonder where you heard that. Remember the trial of uh, uh, Trayvon Martin? You know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. 
Yeah, and remember uh, when uh, Professor uh, Henry Louis Gates, the Harvard professor, uh, left, uh, lost his keys and he was trying to figure out how to get into his own house and the cops pulled up and decided to investigate this guy trying to get into a house, make sure who he was. The Cambridge police uh, acted stupidly. Yeah, well, they acted stupidly, but, you know, if it, if it wasn't actually the owner of the house, I guess the owner of the house would have been would have been uh, would have been happy. And then, of course, the, remember Michael Brown in Ferguson? You know, he went in and uh, bullied some shop owner, stole some stuff from it. And then uh, when the cops came up to him, he tried to uh, manhandle the cop and try to steal his gun and then uh, try to steal his gun. And when they got when the cop broke loose and they got out of the car, then then uh, Michael Brown. Uh, dove at him to try and tackle him, and the cop uh, fired. Remember, uh, remember that? In too many communities around the country, a gulf of mistrust exists between local residents and law enforcement. Too many young men of color feel targeted by law enforcement, guilty of walking while black or driving while black, judged by stereotypes that fuel fear and resentment and hopelessness. Yeah, well, I guess I'll just chime in on what I think some people are thinking and feeling. I'll give you I'll give you an example, especially in this week when we see the uh, the killing of that Micaiah Bryant, uh, who uh, who nobody seems to know the the name of uh, the girl in pink that she was about to stab that the cops saved. All they're concerned about is that a cop killed Micaiah Bryant and uh, they don't even be concerned with the fact that he saved this other girl from being stabbed to death. Um, you know, what are people thinking and feeling about that? You know, everyone's got an opinion on whether, no, Hey, knife fights are knife fights are just normal for kids. They just have knife fights. I can remember a particular neighborhood in, in Moreno Valley that for a long time had a stigma that people wouldn't buy the houses and the values went down in that particular neighborhood. And the reason was that there was a high school girl, uh, that, that went over to her, one of her high school friends' houses and knocked on the door. When she answered, she stabbed her to death right at, right at her front door. And that created, that created a stigma about that neighborhood. And uh, you know what? Why was it created a stigma? Because knife fights are normal? No, because they're not normal. It's not normal for, for kids to stab each other, and it's not okay. And when that cop pulled the gun and shot, shot, the, shot the one girl, she, he saved the other girl. But that's just what people are thinking and feeling. And while we're on the subject of uh, how people are thinking and feeling, and I'm only going to tell this story because I'm assuming that I'm not the only one who feels this way. I'm not the only one who sees this. But the other night I went to a local grocery store to pick up some dog food for my uh, for my three month old eating machine. And uh, I, I pulled up in the in the grocery store parking lot and parked in one aisle in the handicap zone are two young gentlemen and they're standing there in the aisle behind their car with on the back of their car, a big Brown 40 ounce bottle of something and uh, just yucking it up. So I go to the next aisle so I can park my truck and uh, I'm, I start walking towards the uh, store and I realize, Oh, I don't have to, I don't have my mask. I can't go in the grocery store without my mask. So I go back to the truck and while I'm over there, I notice there's a police car taking some kind of accident report across the parking lot. And I just walked over to him. I said, excuse me, is it illegal to drink in public? Is it legal to drink in public? Now she goes, and there was a, a, a male and a female officers. And she goes, you mean drunken in public? I said, no. Is it okay to sit, to stand in a food for less parking lot 
and just drink beers and and uh you know open container kind of stuff i know it's legal in las vegas is it legal here no where's that happening i said right there and i turned around and pointed and she goes oh okay well we'll handle that when we're done here i said they'll be gone by now and i just turned around and walked by then i said i'll i'll just walk away and i wasn't being mad at the cops because they've got more they've got more on their in their uh, they've got more on their shoulders than they can handle but it just makes me wonder with everything that's going on why does nobody think it's illegal to do anything i posted a thing on facebook i said is anything is there anything illegal in this country anymore anyway just something to think about while we uh, while you ponder that for five minutes during uh traffic weather commercials and sports stay tuned for uh stay tuned in five minutes i'll be back with part two of the main event lots more to talk about Welcome back to the main event, part two. My name's Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding. I don't talk a lot about real estate and financing on the show because uh, some of you guys might think it's boring if you're uh, not in the market or you don't think you're in the market. Um, but I could talk for hours and hours and hours on it and, and teach you guys some things for those of you that are interested. Uh, if you want to find out more, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855 855- 640-2020, or go to edhoffman.net, click on the Summit Funding logo, and we'll do that computer thing. So uh, before the break, we've been talking about the Derek Chauvin trial, the guy that, you know, they uh, it's more commonly known as the George Floyd trial, uh, but they uh, they convicted the guy of three murders for killing one guy. Um, so after the, after the verdict, uh, Joe Biden decided it was time to give a statement uh, with his full-time seeing eye dog, Kamala Harris, uh, masked up right behind him. A jury in Minnesota found former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin guilty on all counts in the murder of George Floyd last May. It was a murder in the full light of day, and it ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see. There was systemic racism stain on our nation's soul. The knee on the neck of justice for black Americans. Enough. Enough of this senseless killings. Today's verdict is a step forward. Yeah, I don't know if I completely agree with that. Uh, Murder. We saw murder in the full light of day. Of course, we didn't get to see all the video. We only got to see the videos that fit the uh, fit the narrative so we could get everybody rioting and and uh and destroying things in this country we didn't get to see that he was actually uh going crazy in the uh dancing around like a like a looney tune in the in the liquor store actually doing a uh, doing a drug deal before he uh handed a, a counterfeit 20 to the uh cashier and left and we didn't get to see uh, him foaming at the mouth before he got ever got put in handcuffs and then he put a bunch of uh fentanyls in his mouth and swallowed them and uh, took took lots of drugs. And so we didn't get to see any of that stuff. So it's in the full light of day. We got to see what the mainstream media wanted us to see. And this systematic racism thing, uh, I don't think that's really the problem they say it is. So uh, on Laura Ingram's show Wednesday, Dinesh D'Souza made an excellent point. If systematic racism, racism in the police department caused this, then Chauvin, Chauvin would have been acquitted what makes Chauvin guilty is the fact that there was not systematic racism. If there really were systematic police brutality in Minneapolis, 
then Chauvin would be exonerated. Why? Because he'd be able to say, hey, listen, what I did, that's what they trained me to do. That's what's in the manual. That's what every other cop in the department would do. But no, one by one, police officers came forward, the police chief came forward, and they said, no, we don't train cops to behave like this. This is not in the manual. This is not part of standard police technique. Chauvin is a bad apple. He's a bad cop. He is acting in a lawless way. So ironically, by making this argument that Chauvin is to blame and not the department, they were exonerating the department. They were saying it's not a systematic problem, and the jury evidently agreed. So it makes me think of a, uh, a scene from A Few Good Men, and this could have been Derek Chauvin. Did you ever actually hear Lieutenant Kendrick order a code red? No, sir. Please, the court, I'd like to request a recess in order to confer with my client. Why did you go into Santiago's room? The witness room? has rights. The witness has been read his rights, Commander. The question will be repeated. Why Your did you Honor. go into Santiago's room? Hal. Did Lance Corporal Dawson tell you to give Santiago a code red? Hal. Don't look at him. Hal. Harvey, answer the captain's question. Yes, Captain. I was given an order by my squad leader, Lance Corporal Harold W. Dawson, United States Marine Corps, and I followed it. Yes, that could have been Derek Chauvin. Hey, I, I was trained to do, to, uh, to do this knee on the neck thing by the Minneapolis Police Department, and I just followed my, followed my orders. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen. You know, and, I, and don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, to defend Derek Chauvin. Um, my impression is this guy's uh, not very smart. And from what I've heard, he's kind of a bully cop. Um, but I think there's, I think there's, there's more to, uh, to idolizing George Floyd, who was not a good person either. Um, I actually, uh, text, uh, my friend, Chad Bianco, Riverside County Sheriff and asked him, uh, asked him about, Hey, you know, after this, after this, uh, verdict, are you having a hard, is, is it making it hard to, to hire people to go into law enforcement? Because I would think, I would think that where our country's going, who would want to do that? Uh, happily, his response was, regardless of what a few would li like everyone to believe, this was not the norm. We in law enforcement are overwhelmingly ethical, good people who have a sincere desire to serve. We also know the majority of the public supports us. That was, uh, that was refreshing. He's, I, I'll, I'll uh, talk about some more of his, uh, some more of his uh, response uh, in a few minutes. Also, within minutes of the verdict, Nancy Pelosi took the exploitation of George Floyd to a new level with some disturbing political theater. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice. Because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous with justice. Yeah, his name will always be synonymous with justice. We won't, we won't remember him as a, as a whacked out drug addict. And we won't remember him for uh, being part of a home invasion where he where they went into some lady's house, uh, some pregnant lady's house, and held a gun to her belly, uh, threatening to kill her and her new baby. We won't remember that part. We'll remember his name is synonymous with justice. It's just ama it's amazing. Everyone's focused, on, everyone's focused on how criminals get treated, but we don't focus on, hey, maybe we should teach people to not be criminals. More on that in a minute. Also, in the, uh, so outside the courthouse, there was celebration there was celebration, but for liberals who make their living off race baiting, there was nothing to celebrate. One down, 
many, many more to go. But I'm not happy. I'm not pleased. I don't have any sense of satisfaction. I don't think this is a system working. I don't think this is a good thing. This verdict is not justice. Frankly, I don't even think we call it full accountability. No, I, I mean, this is not the system working. This is a makeup call. This is the justice system trying to say that, hey, this is one bad apple, because that's how this is going to be interpreted. It's going to be this one bad apple. He got in trouble. Yay. Blah, blah, blah. And yet there's still going to be young black men and women across this country being shot today, tomorrow and two weeks from now, because unless we have some radical reform, there's no lesson learned. So in other words, if this guy goes to jail, they don't have they don't have any anything to uh, to any, anything in the news to create havoc about. And uh, therefore, this is just not enough. Uh, what the left wants is federalized police reform in the form of George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, a bill that passed in the House a month ago, but has yet to be voted on in the Senate. Within minutes of the verdict, the bill was back in the national spotlight. Last summer, I introduced the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. This bill would hold law enforcement accountable. This bill is part of George Floyd's legacy. We are determined that we're going to fight until we make federal law the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. This must be law. We're going to get a lot more done. We're going to get police. We're going to do a lot. We're going to stay at it until we get it done. Hopefully this is the momentum for the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act to get past and have you signed. Well, this could be our best shot at dealing with genuine systemic racism. Yeah, this is uh this this is gonna be we're not gonna get this done until we we're gonna pass all these new laws. Hey, I got news for you. Passing laws doesn't do squat because law abiding citizens are the only ones that obey laws and criminals, criminals still break laws. That's why they call them criminals. People that don't care about laws today don't care what law you pass tomorrow, it's not gonna help. The only thing that stops men with guns is bad guys with guns is good guys with guns. You know, in the in the in the states that have open carry for everybody, you don't have that much gun crime because no one wants to pull a gun on somebody knowing that everyone around him has a gun, too. So let's talk about what's in this George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. What's in the bill? So some some of it makes sense and some of it doesn't. And that's why Republicans like Senator Tim Scott and Rand Paul are presenting their own alternatives Here's the parts of the bill that Republicans have been open for so far. Ending chokeholds by taking federal funding away from departments who use them. Well, I thought I thought these had been banned a long time ago, but apparently it was just uh, LAPD banned chokeholds. And that was back in 1980. So uh, banning chokeholds. I don't see where that's a problem. OK, uh, banning no knock warrants in federal drug cases because Breonna Taylor died when police entered her apartment on a no-knock warrant for her boyfriend. I think this is BS because, you know what, uh, Brianna Taylor got killed in Crossfire when they did a no-knock warrant on her on her boyfriend who was dealing drugs and had a, had a laundry list of, uh, of, uh, of other crimes he'd committed. They went in and her boyfriend starts shooting at the cops and the cops shoot back and she was collateral damage, took a bullet, and she died. So is that a problem with the law or is that a problem with, hey, you know, when you sleep with the dogs, you get fleas. Hey, you know, what? if you don't want to get shot, don't hang out with boyfriends that, that pull, pull guns on cops. I don't know. That's just one of the things that my parents did. Hey, when a cop pulls you over, pull over. 
When they say get out of the car, get out of the car. When they say give us, give you your, uh, I want to see your driver's license and registration, hand it to them. Be respectful. If you're, if they did something wrong, you go to court. And that's just a uh, part of it. You know, you don't, you don't uh, take a swing at your teachers in school and you don't back talk them. And, you know, you don't uh, talk that way to your parents. So that's just a little thing that I, I, I learned when I was, as I was growing up and I didn't have perfect parents. I had a great mom, but my dad was, was probably worse than not having a dad. And that's where the problem is parenting. So the next step, the next thing uh, is lowering legal standard for police misconduct from willfulness to recklessness. I guess that would include the Kimberly Potter thing where she pulled her, uh, her gun instead of her taser and uh, killed that kid last week. And uh, she's since been charged with murder. And I think uh, we're not focusing on the fact that this kid had a warrant and uh, was fleeing an arrest and uh, his warrant was for uh, carrying a gun and uh, that, you know, the cops don't have, a, have the right to protect themselves. Um, but now it's all just she murdered, she murdered a kid. Um, so willfulness to recklessness. And she pulled her gun instead of her taser. Clearly thought she had her taser. And not sure what the, how a gun feels compared to a taser because I have a gun. I don't have a taser. Um, but that seems kind of a rookiness there. But I just don't know if, uh, if I'd call that murder. Um, we don't focus on the fact that the kid was breaking the law again. Uh, mandating body cameras and dashboard cameras. I think that's uh, pretty much the norm these days, but apparently it's not federal. And creating a national policy, uh, a national police misconduct registry. I don't think that's a problem. Uh, bad cops should be known so they don't just change, change cities and start over and become bad cops somewhere else. Now, here's the here's what the Senate Republicans are saying no to in the in the in the bill, limiting how much military grade equipment is awarded to the state and local law enforcement agencies. So apparently uh, when the military has more uh, military equipment um, that than they need, uh, I guess they want us to just throw it away instead of uh, giving awarding that to law enforcement agencies, you know, like bulletproof vests and and helmets and, and that kind of stuff. What is the point of limiting how much is awarded to state and local law enforcement agencies? If the equipment's there, put it to good use. Ending qualified immunity, which protects law enforcement officers from the from most civil lawsuits. So if a cop is chasing a chasing a burglar and he has to and the and the burglar or the murderer or the rapist or whoever he's chasing jumps over your fence and then the cop jumps over your fence and breaks it on the on the way through it. The homeowner there should be able to sue the cop personally uh, in a lawsuit. I don't see where that makes any sense. Uh, I can see where someone should be responsible for that, but why should the cop be uh, be held liable personally for that? I don't think that makes sense. Enhancing pattern and practice investigations of police departments by granting the Justice Department subpoena power so they can subpoena any local law enforcement department at any time for any reason and establishing grant programs for states to conduct their own investigations so a Democrat state attorney general can decide to investigate a local police department for any reason, and the federal government will pay for it. Now, I'm all for the law, the law enforcement agencies communicating with each other. I'm all for that because, um, you know, if you, if you think about 9-11, the reason that we weren't ready for this is because the FBI and the CIA and the local law enforcement and the military, they don't communicate with each other. 
Hence, George W. Bush created the Homeland Security Department, which put them all together so everybody communicates. So I'm okay with that from the point of the, the federal government and state governments and, and local governments communicate. But I don't have, but what I don't agree with is allowing them to just come in and overpower. That gives too much power to the federal government. And, uh, and you'll notice the federal government is supposed to step in when the state governments can't handle it. Not the state. We talked about this last week with the, with, uh, the federal government putting illegal immigrants that they let across the border into different states. And I say, hey, the state's not supposed to step in when the federal government screws up. Um, the government's supposed to step in when the, when the state needs help, when they're over their head. Um, last, thing that they, last thing they have here is mandate training against racial profiling and using federal grants to help communities establish task forces to study police reforms. What's wrong with that? Well, it funnels federal dollars to progressive organizations like the NAACP, the ACLU, and the National Urban League, among others. Wait a minute. ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, that's a, that's a progressive racial organization? I thought Americans were Americans. Oh, anyway, police departments seeking federal grants would have to pledge to spend at least 5% of their grant funds to implement whatever programs these progressive organizations come up with. And you know what? This makes me think. For 143 years, 143 years from 1865 when we passed uh, the 13th Amendment in uh, 2008, 143 years we spent trying to make people be colorblind, trying to make people be um, blind to uh, to race and color and all that stuff. And you know, hey, you know, if you're black or you're white or you're Asian or you're Hispanic. We're all people. And I know that my parents raised me. Hey, doesn't matter what color somebody is They're They're, you know, you should be friends and you should respect them. And uh, you're not better than anybody. And uh, until someone gives you a reason to disrespect, you don't disrespect. And I've always thought of it that way. And that's how I was raised. But now, since 2008, when uh, President Obama was elected, when President Obama should have gone to the mic and say, hey, I'm a black man really half white and half black, but identified as a black man. He goes, he should have said, I was elected by black people and white people. This should, this should prove there's no, there's no limits by, by race that, you know, there's no ceiling that, that, a, that a person of any color can achieve anything they want. There's no, there's no limits. He should have done that and said, Hey, so let's end all this, all this race, this, all this race stuff. Instead, he said, Hey, I'm the president now. Let's get some payback. Since then, we've been trying to we're trying to turn 143 years of uh, of trying to make uh, trying to erase the lines between white and black. We turn that we turn that backwards, you know. And UCLA this year had had six different six different commencement, two six different graduations. You had identity identity based graduations. So they had a black African American uh, commencement. They had American Indian. Commencement. They had a uh, uh, undocumented, undocumented people that were graduating college. They had a separate, uh, a separate uh, graduation for them. They had the lavender election. That's LGBTQ. So everybody who was a, uh, who's a uh, gay or transgender or bisexual, they had their own graduation. You had the Pacific Islanders because people from Hawaii and and the Philippines and Guam and Japan they want to have their, uh, they want to have their own separate away. And then they had the Raza the Raza commencement, which was a Latinos. I don't know what that Raza thing is. 
but uh, they had to have their Hispanic. And then they had one other graduation for that white people could be a part of and uh, everybody else could be a part of. They didn't want to identify with with one of those other ones. Does this sound like America? This just doesn't sound right to me because it used to be separate but equal. And then we integrated everybody together. And, you know, all the way up until the 70s, we're still fighting that battle. And now that everybody seems to be okay with it, now they're trying to turn it around and go backwards. I don't know that this is America. So uh, when we talk about reforms, I'm going to refer to part of Chad Bianco's uh, comments when we were texting back and forth. His ideas on reform, he said, we all want reforms to make things better. Unfortunately, some groups use reforms for their own political agenda. There cannot ever be reform until we have societal reform. This stupid argument about cops murdering innocent people is a false narrative. Even our president and vice president repeat it. Every, in, every incident they want to bring up starts with a criminal act or resistance. When will the president and vice president start telling people to stop committing crimes, stop doing drugs, stop fighting with police, stop hurting each other, uphold and support consequences for unlawful behavior? Then we can have legitimate talks about reform. You know what? I'm proud to call Chad Bianco my friend, and I'm proud that he's uh, our uh, our county sheriff. Um, and I just think that's the right attitude we need to have. Hey, uphold the law. We don't. And you know, I I posted this in Facebook a few days ago. We don't need to defund the police. We need to hire more police, deputize citizens to help, not just film and post it on Facebook. Build more prisons. Build the wall on the southern border and the northern border. Arrest people who violate the laws, not those trying to stop others. It's, you know, it, it's just, it's just idiotic. You see somebody getting, you see something, somebody being, being killed and you sit there and get out your phone and film it. Our pastor at our church, uh, Matt Brown talks about when he got involved in somebody trying to kill someone with a knife and all these people around it uh, was at the beach and he jumped in and almost got knifed himself in the process to get the knife away from the guy while everybody else just stood around and didn't help, they just got out their phones and filmed it. This is real, folks. So last week, we talked about the truth coming out on the, on the border. This week, the truth's coming out on one of the biggest lies of the media told about January 6th, you know, that big riot that, that happened because, uh, because President Trump told people to, to uh, patriotically and, and peacefully walk on the Capitol. No, it's not that lie. It's the second biggest lie, the one that the Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the hours-long attack. They beat a Capitol Police Officer to death with a fire extinguisher. Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the fight. He died at the age of 42 after he was bludgeoned the fire extinguisher. Donald Trump would be held criminally liable for any crimes that resulted like the murder of Brian Sicknick. Can you see where all this stuff gets out of hand? On the Tucker Carlson to, uh, show Tuesday, journalist Glenn Greenwald pointed out how crucial the Brian Sicknick lie was to the last narrative about January 6th. Without that lie, the basis for impeaching Trump a second time would be would completely fall apart. It was vital to be able to claim that a pro-Trump mob on January 6th murdered somebody because without that being true, it would mean that all the people who died that day were pro-Trump 
protesters. It's very difficult to depict this protest as this menacing insurrection if they actually killed nobody and they themselves were killed. He became so central of their narrative that they valorized him. They had ceremony. The idea that he was killed by the pro-Trump mob made it into the official record of President Trump's impeachment trial. Someone wrote it down for Joe Biden to say this is how crucial it became. There were so many reasons from the start to know it was a lie. The original autopsy found no blunt trauma. His family said that he called them that night to say that he was totally fine. His mother said that he thought she thought he died of a stroke. This is what is so repulsive is they completely exploited this person, this this young uh, police officer who they obviously didn't care anything about. They saw him as a toy to exploit his death for purely political ends in ways that how now we now now know were a complete and utter lie. So while we're talking about the fact that Brian Sicknick really wasn't murdered, he had two strokes and died of natural causes. And uh, they tried to make that into murder. And while we're talking about Derek Chauvin uh, going to jail for three murders on with on one person, um, which probably takes it out of context, but most people don't know the whole truth. Um, let's talk about one other one other incident that happened on January 6th. And I'll just leave this with you to think about as we end the show. There's a lady named Ashley Babbitt who served in the military and came from uh, and came from San Diego and she was unarmed. And a Capitol Police officer shot her and killed her. She wasn't armed. We saw it right on right on camera. We didn't exactly see what the what the Capitol Police officer looked like because he was behind a behind the other door. But we didn't get his name. He didn't face trial. Nothing happened. They exonerated him, and nobody even said anything about it. And that and that uh, patriot who got caught up in some frenzy and was jumping and was in the Capitol got killed we don't remember her as a as a we're not going to remember her name as synonymous with justice and that guy's not going on trial can you see something that stinks here folks anyway i'm all out of time for this uh episode of the main event so uh thanks for listening my name's ed hoffman and i'll be back again with you next week the opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the opinions of summit funding incorporated ed hoffman nmls id number 9921 california dre id number 1126585 Arizona MLO license number 0926439 Branch NMLS ID number 1841782 Summit Funding Incorporated NMLS ID number 3199 Arizona license number 0925837 Equal Housing Opportunity